Thank you everybody for your great singing this morning. I heard you out there. Those songs stick in your head as I always hope. And yeah, that's always sing those songs a lot this week. Remember our guys and uh, soldier. Yeah, good, good stuff. All right, I'm done. So I'm going to turn it over to somebody who most of us know as Adam. Now everybody knows him as Yes. All right, hi. Um, as that guy said, I'm whoever he said I was. Uh, so I have the, uh, I'm, uh, the pleasure of presenting the creative testimony for the month. And um, if I understand it correctly, it's sharing something that I, either I've worked on or something that I've seen that might be worth sharing in the realm of uh, creativity. Um, if you've been on uh, Facebook in the month of December, and if we're friends, you've probably seen this piece and are probably sick of it. So I, I give you uh, the next minutes as a, a blessing to sleep in church uh, as a gift with my apologies. Um, this is a piece I did called a New York City, excuse me, a New York City Nativity. Um, scripture tells us that whatever we do to the least of these, we do to Jesus. And is, was kind of my hope that with this piece, uh, we can help remember this truth in an age where the suffering of others is so quickly uh, politicized and dismissed. I know that there are complicated issues and a lot of things to, to, to factor in, but just, just the easy dismissal and the easy kind of politically wrapping up groups of people is um, maybe something we should reevaluate. So um, you could just uh, flip through the first couple of slides there, um, whoever might be doing that. Um, so this piece is done in Photoshop, and it started as a compositional sketch so I can get the layout that I wanted. Um, you can see down there there are uh, rats and pigeons. Um, they didn't make it into the final piece because I forgot about them, but they would have been great to represent the barnyard animals. So, you know. Uh, okay, the, so the final line work, um, I wanted to have the baby be the vanishing point, the, the, your eye to be drawn to the baby. Um, so, um, and then uh, I wanted, go ahead and go to the next one. I wanted, I wanted Mary and Joseph to look frightened. Um, in, all, in, in a lot of the nativity pictures of the past, you, you see Mary and Joseph looking very serene and holy. And if I know when I, as a dad, whenever I'm out of my element and I'm the one, the only one standing between my family and, and cougar death or whatever may be lurking in the Rocky Mountain National Park, I don't look like this. I look like this. So I can only imagine that Mary and Joseph were terrified um, as, as not only they had to go to Bethlehem for the census, but also to Egypt to um, escape what was going on in their homeland. Um, go ahead and go to the next one. They're, they're clearly a displaced family. Um, the newspaper over there says census. So this is kind of a combination of the story of Bethlehem, but also the story of the flight of Egypt. They're in an unfamiliar place. They're running from danger. Um, the arch on the bridge is meant to lean back to a lot of those traditional Byzantine middle age representations that you'd have there or framings that you'd have at the scene. Uh, those are trees and they're meant to represent trees. Um, next one, please. This is New York City. Um, they're under a bridge in Central Park. Next one, please. Uh, the dynamic of the visitors has been moved into a modern context. 
These are the three wise men, the upper end of society. They're Wall Street workers, they're executives. He's wearing a gold watch, she's wearing frankincense perfume, and the guy behind the bridge, his name is Murray. <laughs> um, next one, please. The shepherds are, were at the time considered lower class. They were uh, dismissed and uh, thought very smelly. And, and so I have a couple here who are homeless themselves. Um, I also have a, a street performer, a bucket drummer, because the little drummer boy is my favorite non-biblical addition to the story. Um, it's also my daughter's favorite bedtime song, even though it's not the Christmas season. I've explained to her that it's inappropriate. But... <sighs> so whenever, uh, whichever issue dealing with people has become too messy or too political or too uncomfortable, I wanted us to be reminded that we're not just talking politics, we're talking people. Um, oh, and uh, the red cup down there at the bottom is a Starbucks cup. <laughs> uh, because when we're so focused on what a restaurant says or doesn't say or do on their cups, we're probably neglecting the bigger picture. So the Starbucks cup is crumpled and thrown down in hopes that we will do the same. Um, but I think it's totally cool that we didn't, that at least as far as I saw, have a big Starbucks thing this year. Maybe we were just too tired from fighting after the election, so we're like, let's just let Christmas be Christmas, peace on earth. So, yay. Um, okay, so once the flat colors are in, then I go in and do some light and texture work, and their clothes are dirty. Um, oh, the airplane light on top of the Empire State Building is the Christmas star. Huh? Yeah. Huh? Isn't that... Uh, oh. Okay. So... Um, Okay, I was having trouble with the colors. The baby was getting lost. The, the, no, 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 go ahead and go to that next one. Uh, the baby was getting lost, and, and it wasn't becoming the focus, and I couldn't figure out how to get that back. And so my mom says, well, why don't you illuminate the baby? And I thought, well, that, I said, well that's ridiculous, Mom. Wait a minute, I have an idea. Why don't I illuminate the baby? <laughs> so the baby is illuminated. Um, and uh, so now he stands out, and it's not at all ironic that a art piece about not losing Christ and seeing him in other people almost lost the image of Christ in the piece. So that's not at all ironic, and you all can't shake your finger at me for being a hypocrite. <laughs> or you can, but you know. Um, on the arch there, you'll see lots of graffiti. Those are actually Bible verses, um, and those are Bible verses that have challenged me in terms of how I personally perceive people that are different than me. Uh, Micah 6, 8, Leviticus 14, 33 through 34, 1 John 3, 16 through 18, Mark 12, 31, and there's a bunch more up there. Um, we will now take time to read through each one of them and make sure that you all fully understand and are penitent, because I have that authority. Um, okay, so the, um, I'm connected with a guy on Facebook who was doing this cool thing. He was selling all of his old Star Wars collectibles and sending the money to an organization called Save the Children. And he was donating the money to this organization specifically for their work on the ground in Syria as they help displaced families in their own country. Um, they do stuff like providing children and their families with warm clothes, shelter, protection, clean water, and emergency care there in Syria. Um, and I thought it was such a cool idea, and this project spoke to that idea. So I sold prints of this on a website that took care of the printing and the shipping. 
and any money that I got from the sale of this is going to uh, save the children as well. So it's a pretty cool organization which is doing stuff for kids all around the world. So uh, that's it. My Facebook friends can uh, wake up now um, and listen to Lloyd. You don't have to wake up. We're in the middle of a series entitled Jesus the Radical. And um, as you view um, Adam's art piece, there's some illumination coming from Jesus, which is definitely a bad idea, but good when it came from his mind. Um, <laughs> sure glad moms are around to keep us in line. It's an amazing thing happens when you talk to your mom about something. <clears throat> Jesus the Radical. Jesus was not an, actual, uh, an average guy. He was not a typical guy. He wasn't somebody who came on the scene and was just ignored. He completely revolutionized everything that we know of as, as religion. And um, for the last several thousand years, um, a couple thousand at least, the world has been changed because of him. Because he made it to that manger and he lived an amazing life. Jesus the Radical is the name of the series that we're in. This particular passage of scripture uh, is one that not often is talked about, um, but I believe it's one that we should talk about because it gives real good light. It illuminates who Jesus was. John chapter 2, if you want to turn with me in your Bibles, John chapter 2, we're going to start reading in verse 1. John chapter 2, open up your apps, open up your, your Bible and um, read along with me. John chapter 2. I'm going to be reading from the NLT. If you have a choice, you can follow along directly. John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And because it's God's Word and we like to honor God's Word, let's stand as we read this passage of Scripture. John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, They have no more wine. Verse 4, Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby, imagine that, do whatever he tells you. But don't give her credit for it. Do whatever she tells you. Do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servant, servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana 
in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Let's look to God in prayer. God, thank you so much for the honor it is to be called one of yours, to be allowed to worship together freely this morning. God, thank you for each and every individual who made an effort to be here this morning. God, thank you for uh, the time that we're allowed to spend looking into your word and dissecting it and understanding it and, and scrutinizing these verses so that we can apply them to our lives, so that we can better understand them, so that we can be enlightened by who you were as a person. God, help us not to take the world's idea of who you were, but God, help us to take your idea. When you sent him, what he did here on this earth. God, help us to learn from that today. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Do I have a battery problem, BJ? I'm going to ditch my phone. Maybe it's too close. Maybe it's causing problems. <clears throat> A healthy spiritual life might include some parties. Did you hear me? A healthy spiritual life might include some parties. Out of the three years of Jesus' ministry, several times we see him at a party. Why do you think Jesus spends time at parties? That's where the people are. Why do you think Jesus was at the party? Because that's where the people were. He was hanging out at the parties. He was hanging out at the synagogues when they were there. He was hanging out out in the field when they came. Big groups of them came and and joined him. Because that's where the people were. Jesus' ministry was all about people. Jesus very simply but effectively mixed his social life with his spiritual life. I think he expects, expects the same out of us. Separation between our social lives and spiritual lives can cause obvious problems. But let me share some extremes. I think we should avoid extremes like this. And, and these are extremes, but they're extremely easy for us to slip into. Write this down. No contact equals no impact. No contact equals no impact. There's lots of people that claim to be religious that hang out in their religious bubble. And they they do not want to hang out with anybody but who uh, definitely agrees with them. And sees everything exactly the same way they see it. They interpret scripture the same way. They, They listen to the same type of people. They do the same types of things. Their rituals are all the same. They hang out in this holy huddle, if you want to call it that. It's not the way Jesus was. No contact equals no impact. They have very little interaction with the outside world. They don't want to get contaminated by the perversions of the world. Who's it sound like? Yeah, sounds like the Pharisees, if you ask me. The second one I want you to write down. It's not in your notes. It's probably not on the screen. No difference equals no impact also. This is the second extreme. No difference equals no impact. Well, I'm so spiritual because I go to, like, I go to parties like Jesus did, and I hang out with, with all of them. Along with the same drunkenness, the same lust, the same carousing, the same gossip, the same. If there's no difference between us and them, there's going to be no impact. Jesus stays away from these extremes and asks us to follow in his footsteps. This wedding party that we just read about was a major social crisis. This couple, this family, this father who invited 
the, the son-in-law into his, his home and began to prepare for the, the, the bride, the, the mother of, of the bride and her family began to prepare for this event. They collected enough to provide what they thought was necessary, but the wine ran out. For us, this wouldn't have been a problem. We would have just run down to 7-Eleven and, and picked up some more. We had a meeting this, uh, this week on Thursday morning, and um, everyone was supposed to bring a little appetizer to our meeting. And uh, there was about 16 ladies and a couple guys, myself and one other guy, that were supposed to attend this. And everybody was supposed to bring food. Well, it was about three minutes until 9, and we were starting at 9 o'clock. And four or five ladies rolled in, and not a single one of them had any food. Oh, we had plates and we had napkins and we had forks and we had cups, but we didn't have any food. And so, of course, the director just freaks out. Ah, what are we going to do? So I take off and I call mom. <laughs> Can you help me? I'm in, a, I'm in a bind. Get some donuts, quick. I ran, get, got some burritos. So it was not a big deal. This social crisis was not a big deal. However, in this particular case, it was a major deal. Back in this day, it wasn't an easy fix. Not only is Jesus in a major social problem, but to add to that stress, he's having some family issues as well. This is a tough spot. How many of you like to go to parties? Picture yourself at about 25 to 30 years old. How many of you like to go to parties with your mother? Anybody? Nobody raised their hand? Unbelievable. You guys are so mean. Jesus is 30 years old and he's with his mom at a party. Not only is he with his mom, but he's also being tailed by 12 strange characters. We've got fishermen, we've got tax collectors, we've got all kinds of guys from all kinds of walks of life that are just kind of following along, watching what he does. How many of you had somebody tail you and literally follow you around every minute of every day for let's say, let's just say one day. Has anybody had that experience where somebody was literally within a couple of feet of you all day long, right? Yeah, moms deal with it on a constant basis, right? They walk around the house, they go in the kitchen, do dishes, and somebody's right there on their leg. Go in the bathroom, clean, or somebody's right there on their leg. This is, must have been what it was like for Jesus having his disciples follow along to this party. This was a major crisis. This was a major situation. And there was all kinds of stuff going on here. A crisis does not eliminate all of your choices. Think about that. A crisis does not eliminate all of your choices. It may limit them, but it does not eliminate them. Jesus cares. But in your crisis, you may not get the answer or help that you wanted. He's always got the big picture in mind. John chapter 7, 1 through 9, we find a passage of scripture that Jesus is definitely uh, uh, focused. And it gives a great illustration of how focused he was. After this, Jesus traveled around Galilee. He wanted to stay out of Judea where the Jewish leaders were plotting his death. But soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters. And Jesus' brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. 
for even his brothers didn't believe in him. Jesus replied, now is not the right time for me to go, but you can go anytime. Anytime you want to get out of here, just go right ahead. The world can't hate you, but it does hate me because I accuse it of doing evil. You go on. I'm not going to this festival because my time has not yet come. After saying these things, Jesus remained in Galilee. Over and over and over again, we see this same sort of thing happening throughout Jesus' ministry. He goes, he goes to certain places and he does certain things because he has the big picture in mind. He has a 30,000 foot view and he's looking down and he's saying, well, if you catch that red light, then you won't get nailed in the following one by the drunk driver. But when we come screeching to a halt at that red light, and it seems that that red light catches you every single morning, and especially if you're late, it doesn't seem like God's on your side, does it? But you know what? Jesus has a big picture. He's looking at it from a completely different perspective, and he saw this one exactly the same. He's got some perfect timing. Look at what Jesus' mother does. Look at what she says. She says, do whatever he tells you. Every counseling session wrapped up into one little nugget of advice. Do whatever he tells you. If, if everyone would do exactly what Jesus says in every single situation, wouldn't our lives be, there wouldn't be such a thing as counseling. There wouldn't be such a thing as, as problems that we've got in this world today. I have great admiration for Mary in this situation. She doesn't have all the answers, but she trusts Jesus. Do you still have choices in crisis? Let me tell you a story about another wedding crisis. It happened not all that long ago. He had proposed and they were working through the list of preparations and hopes of a beautiful wedding. This Boston native couple chose the downtown Hyatt to host their wedding banquet. The venue charge was $13,000. I don't know if that was recently or if that was a long time ago. Either way, it's a lot of money. That was for the facility, the food, the 150 guests on the list that they were to, to invite. The couple made a $50, a 50% deposit. I'll do the math for you. That was $6,500. The check was written and then the focus moved to checking the guest list and sending out invitations. The night before the invites were to go in the mailbox, the groom got cold feet. He said, this is a big decision. We should think about it a little bit longer. The bride was obviously crushed by the decision to wait. So back to the Hyatt she went to cancel the venue. The host was polite and said, yes, my dear, that's happened to me as well but there's nothing I can do. I can only refund you $1,300 of the deposit that you made. So she had a choice. The host said, you can hold the banquet. You can go ahead and hold the banquet or you can get your $1,300 back. Does she lose the five grand or does she go ahead with the banquet? About five years earlier, she had been on the streets and homeless in Boston, so she invited all of Boston's down and out to the banquet. On the night she would have been married, she helped host the bag ladies and the bums of Boston. 
They were able to forget their struggles for one night. In honor of the groom, the menu was changed to boneless chicken. (laughs) So the waiters in their tuxes served chicken cordon bleu to the homeless and the downtrodden of the city. Hors d'oeuvres and chocolate wedding cake was had by all. It was a beautiful evening. There are still choices in crisis. We can't just completely think that, God, well, God has just left me when we're in crisis. There's always choices to do something wonderful with what God has for us. Watch what Jesus does next. Verse 6. Are you still open to John chapter 2? Look at verse 6. Standing nearby were six stone water jugs used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told his disciples, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water, that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. Jesus makes some crazy choices here. I want you to spend just just a minute or two talking to the person sitting next to you or maybe someone behind you. What kinds of choices did Jesus make in this particular case that you think are just crazy, radical? See if you can find them in that passage. Where you say go. It's okay to talk in church right now. Go, go, go. I know you can look at your bulletin and find that the jars and the wine was an outrageous choice. Anything else? Anything else? up with some good ones there's some pretty radical things going on here i'm going to highlight just two of them and you can see them in your bulletin you can see them on the on your note sheet i'm going to highlight just a couple of them number one the jars the jars were an outrageous choice and i when when i, I don't know that i had ever really focused on this this idea and, and the how outrageous this actually was jesus is challenging a ritual here there was nothing that went in this jo- in these jars but water and it was for ceremonial washing. They washed their hands. They did all kinds of things with this water. That, that they were, that's just part of the Jewish tradition. And when these char, jars were chosen, it was an outrageous choice. These jars were used for ceremonial washing. And Jesus wasn't concerned about <laughs> the dirt on the outside. He was concerned about the dirt on the inside. Right? He's not concerned about the rituals. He's concerned about what's in the heart. When it comes to rituals and rules, we need to find out if the ritual is from God. Well, we always stand up when we read this verse in the morning and say, morning. I'm like just getting comfortable. We stand up. It's not even ritualistic yet. I just do it every once in a while. But is it from God or not? There were many, many, many times in the Old Testament where when God's word was read, 
all of the people stood. Yeah. I'm not saying that that's what we have to do now, but you know what? It's kind of fun. It's kind of honoring yes, to God's word. If you really hate it, you could talk to me later and we can work out a deal. You know, maybe every third one or something. There's so many man-made rituals that trip us up. If we don't follow them, if we don't walk, we, we walk around with this false guilt over our heads. You know, I've been told for, to be a good spiritual leader that, that I need to pray an hour each and every day. Good idea? Yeah. Everybody nod your head like this. Yep, it's a good idea. Possible? Uh, probably, but not for this knucklehead. I couldn't do it. I can't do it. I tried. I've tried. I've tried. I just can't. I can't do it. And you know what? When I fail, when I don't get an hour of prayer in every single day, man, I'm a bad leader. Man, I don't know if I should. Oh. Is that a false guilt? Yeah. Nowhere in the scripture does it tell me that I need to pray every single day for a whole hour. It's not there. I can't find it. There are some rituals that are from God and are 100% necessary. There, we find them in there. And, and some of them revolve around salvation. Some of them revolve around church. Some of them, and, and that, our whole last series talks about how we are to be the church that God wants us to be. Not just an empty ritual. Take baptism for an example. Baptism is necessary. It's a necessary ritual. It's kind of, it's, it's somewhat ritualistic. It's, it, it's strange, really, if you think about it. What's the point of that? That's just weird. I used to think it's weird. Maybe I still do sometimes. Many places in scripture, however, lets us know that we are to be baptized to become a Christian. In order to remove all the sin and guilt and replace it with the Holy Spirit, it's a known ritual. That's, that's from God. It's not something that we can just replace with something else and in substitution. Well, we'll just do this or do that. We're not going to do it because it's there. Some don't take it seriously, but obedience is necessary. Remember what Mary said? She said, do whatever he says. Pretty simple. Matthew 23 and verse 25 says, What sorrow await you, teachers of religious law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites? For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the, of the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, he says, first wash the outside of the cup and the dish, and then, or the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. What sorrow awaits, you teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly you look like religious people, but inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus is really trying to disrupt the normalities of religion here. He did it often and he's definitely doing it. In this particular case, he chooses those jars sitting there next to the door that are used for ceremonial washing. And he breaks the rituals. He puts wine in those jars. His second choice, the wine. Now, this is a dangerous choice. No matter how you interpret these verses, this was a dangerous choice. The Greek word for wine in, this, in the New Testament is, is oinos. And nowhere in Scripture and nowhere in the Greek can I find a... Uh, and, and all of the scholars can find they can't find whether it was intoxicating or non-intoxicating. It's, when, you, when you have the word wine, it's, it's neither. So what do you do about it? 
Well, I have a tendency to lean toward the view that it was not intoxicating wine. Because we know that alcohol can lead to sin. And why would Jesus do something that could possibly lead someone to sin? Ephesians 5 and verse 18 says, Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with what? The Holy Spirit. Singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go with me back to the Old Testament. You think Jesus knew this passage? Proverbs 23, starting in verse 29. I bet you he could quote it word for word without even thinking about it. Look at it. It says, Who has anguish? Who has sorrow? Who is always fighting? Who is always complaining? Who has unnecessary bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? It is the one who spends long hours in the taverns trying out new drinks. Don't gaze at the wine, seeing how red it is, how it sparkles in the cup, how smoothly it goes down. For in the end, it bites like a poisonous snake. It stings like a viper. You will see hallucinations. You will say crazy things. You will stagger like a sailor tossed at sea, clinging to a swaying mast. And you will say, they hit me? Well, I didn't feel it. I didn't even know it when, I, when they beat me up. When will I wake up so I can look for another drink? Jesus introduces something better than rules. This choice is, whether it was alcoholic drink or not, this was a dangerous choice. Jesus is going beyond the rules and the traditions. Last week we mentioned that, that God's rules are to prepare, protect, and provide for us. Jesus introduces something better than rules here. This miracle was all about provision. It wasn't about whether it was alcoholic or non-alcoholic. That has no, no bearing on what's going on here. What's taking place? This is a miracle of provision. He's providing for this young couple and his family, their family. Throughout the book of John, and especially when we see this word wine, this word wine is used often in John as a symbol a symbol of joy. Anytime you find the word, uh, the word joy, oftentimes you find it as a symbol, or the word wine rather, you find it as a symbol for joy. The idea of wine is this, in this setting was to bring joy. When wine was shared, it was not a joyous occasion to bring joy. Isaiah 55 verses 1 through 3 says, I, Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money, come take your choice of, of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does, does you no good? Listen to me, and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen, and you will find life. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the unfailing love I promised to David. You see where it's at? Jesus is providing joy to this couple. This wine was not just, a, not just a gift, but it was providing joy to this couple. It was getting them out of this crisis that was a major crisis. Jesus breaks what most people think of him. Most people think of when Jesus shows up that, that you have to follow the rules and you have to stick with, you have to behave, you have to do everything just right, you have to do all that... But you know what? Jesus is all about breaking the rules. 
He's, he's concerned about joy, happiness, fun, enjoyment. That's what he's after here. He's here to provide the ultimate in joy, refreshment, and nourishment. This miracle was provision for this young couple. They were getting married, and it was grace to them. That's what Jesus brought everywhere he went. He brought it to individuals, and he brought it to large crowds. Jesus constantly throughout the gospel meets people's needs in unexpected and overwhelming ways. Let's say this happens today. Jesus blesses with an overabundance of, of wine, of good wine. So and every time I say the word wine, I want you to think what John replaced it with. He kind of used it as a symbol of joy, right? So he, he provides this joy. Everybody at the wedding party had some average, some average joy, average wine. Then Jesus brings a truck full of good wine, of good positive joy, right? Now let's consider the value of this gift. Most servings of wine, I'm told, are around four ounces. Is that about right? Does anybody know? Don't admit it, because then you'd be accused of you know, drinking on so. Most most servings of wine is about four ounces. So you can get about six ounces or six six servings of wine per bottle, which is about it's about a twenty-four ounce bottle, it's typical. So the typical price of a bottle of wine, and say say on the cheap side, I would guess I looked it up, but it was really hard to tell. Seven or eight bucks, is that about right? Does anybody know? Once again, don't raise your hand, tell me. <laughs> and then they go from there, they go up from there to ridiculous amounts of money. I mean, there's wine that goes, I mean, I saw bottles of wine for $4,500, $5,000, just ridiculous amounts of money for 25.3 liters or ounces of, of wine. So anyway, let's go kind of like in between. Let's say Jesus uh, miraculously brings a respectable $40 a bottle of wine, all right? One gallon equals five bottles of wine, right? So that's about $200 per gallon, okay? If that's just average. Jesus miraculously supplies around 150 gallons of this good wine. So do the math. 200 times 150, what do we come up with? $30,000. How many of you received a gift on your wedding by someone other than your relatives in the amount of $30,000. 30 grand? That's amazing, right? That's amazing. What was Jesus doing in this particular case? Do you think they consumed all 150 gallons of this wine? I highly doubt it. This was provision for this young couple. They probably lived on the profits of this wine several years into their marriage. This was provision for this young couple. This was grace to them. Yes, they were in crisis right at the moment, but this was provision. It was a dangerous gift, but an amazing one to this young couple and their family. So now we have the send-off. Every wedding has a send-off, right? So here's the send-off for this morning. I want you to focus on John chapter 2. Look at that very last verse. John chapter 2, verse 11. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. The send-off, don't just enjoy the wine. 
Once again, I'm not talking about getting drunk or lowering your inhibitions. I'm not talking about that. Don't just enjoy the wine. I'm talking about enjoying what God is doing in your life. Maybe you haven't noticed the great blessings God is, is pouring over you and over your life lately. God is providing. He's constantly giving great blessings to each and every one of us. Maybe you need to write some blessings down. I challenged you around Thanksgiving time to write three things down that you're thankful for each and every day. This focus has allowed me to enjoy the wine. God is pouring out to us and he's giving us so much each and every day. And you know what? We have a tendency to sit back in our armchairs and, oh, this chair's not very comfortable. Really? God is pouring on the wine. He's pouring on the joy and we're complaining about it. Don't just enjoy the wine. Acknowledge God for what he's doing. Look at it historically. What has God done through, uh, for us through Jesus Christ? That's not even measurable. Look at it scientifically. In science, there's always a cause and effect. The effect was obviously the wine. A huge blessing beyond anyone's expectation. Most people at the wedding banquet probably didn't even notice. If they did, they probably didn't stop to think about the creator, the person who made it. Think about and focus on the cause behind the joy. We see the effects of God all around us, but we are just looking for more effects, aren't we? We're looking for more blessings, and we don't stop to think and realize the cause behind them. Don't just enjoy the wine. Acknowledge the cause, the giver of all blessings. Number two, be creative and make the party better. What communities are you a part of? Your family, your neighborhood, your church, your town. Everywhere you go, we should be creative and make the party better. What blessings do you bring to the party? What service are you providing? What benefit are you adding? Sometimes we think that all these communities were, were created for our own personal benefit. In a sense, they are for our benefit, but they're for our benefit in a completely different way than most of us think about them. In a marriage, for instance, we think, well, I married my spouse for the benefit of having someone to talk to, someone to make dinner, uh, someone to provide for, someone to, to, to share my life with. Yeah, that's true. But in reality, marriage was created for the purpose of selflessly serving the other. In marriage, we learn to serve the other just like Jesus Christ serves us. That's what marriage is all about. And in that selfless serving, the greatest possible personal joy is created. In the church community, people say, well, well, I'm in this church for the benefit to my family. The programs, the ministry to help me live a more productive life. Amen. I'm, I'm hoping your church does that for you. Once again, true. But reality is this community called church was created for each one of us to have an outlet for love and service what it was created for some say well I just don't know what to do I just don't I just don't know where to serve that's why I say be creative and make the party better if you find something you don't, you, you're not really happy about then make it better find a way to increase it find a way to make it better and last but not least transformation is more important than the short term fix Jesus was all about transformation he changed the thought process. For the religious people of the time, it was rules, laws, rituals from an organized religion. They thought that's how God worked. 
It's kind of an Old Testament way of thinking in a sense. God's chosen people, the Israelites, is where God worked and moved and got his work, his work and will accomplished. Hear this. Jesus changed all that. The acts of God, the very God in human form, in nature, in us, is where the acts reside now. It's right here and it's right now. And when you do something good, you are God to them. You are Jesus Christ to them. That's where it's at. Transformation is more important than a short-term fix. Our focus should not be political, should not be religious, it should not be organizational. It needs to be personally transformative. There were many times when Jesus blessed large crowds. Remember, he fed the 5,000. But can you imagine hearing the story of the feeding of the 5,000 from that little boy who carried the lunchbox that had five barley loaves and two fish? Listen to that. That's where the lives were changed. That's where transformative things happened to that individual. Yes, 5,000 people were, were filled to their full, and, and there were 12 basketfuls left over. But to that little boy, it was life-changing. That boy remembered that the rest of his life. He was a different person because of it. Who's different because of what you've done this week? We need to be transformative. Acts of God come in the simplest ways through our normal everyday conversations. Our love does that we've done in the past and still doing. Yes, the church as an organization will get some accomplished, but only if each of us individually are focused on loving others to the point of transforming lives. There was a recent episode of NCIS. I know, condemn me. I'm watching NCIS. I'm sorry. It caught my attention. Does anybody watch NCIS? The regular one, not the LA or the New Orleans, just the regular one. Okay, so you may have seen this. It was a couple weeks ago. A couple weeks ago? I don't know, two or three weeks ago. Anyway, Parker was a medical examiner's, is a medical examiner's assistant. He found himself trying to transform a life. A young man named Ryan had a fight with his dad in the car. They were, they were going home from a job that he had just gotten fired from. Ryan had just gotten fired from. They were traveling home, and dad was hollering at his, at his son. Their, their, his, his wife had passed away, and his, the, obviously Ryan had lost his mother just recently. And so there was a lot of tension. And, and so dad was pouring everything into his son and trying to get his son to, to get going and, and work and do a good job. And he had just gotten fired. And so his dad was kind of down on his son and kind of giving his son a hard time and irritating him and blew right through a stop sign and almost caused a wreck. Watch out, watch out. Almost caused a wreck. Made it through it, kept going. And of course, the, the dad says, what, what's with these people these days? And Ryan says, uh, you just blew right through a stop sign. Gets to a place where his dad is going to give Ryan some money to help him make it for a couple of days, pulls into an ATM, gets out of the car, begins to walk across the street. And just before he gets out of the car, Ryan says, I wish you would just butt out of my life. And at that point, you didn't want to watch because you knew what was coming. Dad walks across the street and gets plowed by a car, just right out on the concrete. Of course, you didn't see it, but that's what happened. The next scene shows the young man on about an eight-story building. He had climbed up the stairs, he had climbed out on the ledge, and he was going to take his own life. He had ruined his life, he had ruined his dad's life, he was in a bad spot. 
NCIS shows up on the scene because the dad is a, a naval officer, and <clears throat> Ryan or uh, Parker sees Ryan up on the ledge and, and immediately goes into action. He goes up, climbs out on the ledge with Ryan, goes over and grabs his belt to hold him so that he doesn't jump, holds onto a pole, which wouldn't have worked. But anyway, and he, he didn't grab it behind it like this. Parker's grabbing it on the outside like this. I'm like, come on, Parker, if that guy jumps, you're going to. But anyway, Parker sees Ryan, goes up the stairs, climbs out on the ledge, starts to have a conversation with Ryan. Parker remembers a rough patch that he went through. He tells Ryan of a time when Gibbs, his, Parker's boss, helped him make it through a rough patch. It wasn't kind words. It wasn't gentle words shared between Gibbs and Parker. But Parker tells of this time when, when he was in great distress because they had, had just missed out on adopting a little baby. The baby was born and the mom said, I just, I can't let it go. And so they had lost, they basically lost their baby. They were all prepared for it and Parker pulls in the garage and starts to unload all the baby gifts that had come from those friends that, that had given. He can't have them in his house anymore because of the loss. Gibbs comes in, finds out what Parker is moping about, and Gibbs becomes very direct. He becomes very deliberately and alarmingly forceful. But the interaction was transformative. It made an impact on Parker to the point that now Parker is sharing his story and his experience with Ryan out on a ledge. Ryan decides not to take his own life. They climb back down. They go back, go back to normal. Everything goes back to normal. Ryan understands what's going on. He, need, he vows to make a difference in other people's lives as well. My point is, sometimes the conversations need to be out of love, but the truth should be clear. I think in today's society, everyone is so worried about being tolerant of what others think and how they feel that we've forgotten how to love people. The miracle Jesus performed at this wedding was transformative. It met social needs. It rattled rituals. It transformed, obviously, water into wine, but it transformed this couple's life. We don't hear about the honeymoon. We don't hear about the financial launch this couple received. We hear John chapter 2 and verse 11. This miraculous sign in Canaan and Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and what happened. His disciples believed in him. This story was put in the book and I'm bringing it up today because Jesus the radical intends to take each and every one of our lives and transform them. He wants to make each of us more like him. Enjoy what God has done. Be creative and make the party better. And always realize, like Jesus, our mission is to allow transformation in our own lives and to be transformative in the lives of those around us. I want to end with one last verse. This verse makes so much more sense to me. After hearing, after studying, after looking at this passage of Scripture in the book of John. Matthew chapter 5, read it with me, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. 
You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. That's what it's all about. Making it connection with everyone we're around and being transformative. Enjoy what God's done. Bring creativity to wherever you are and be transformative. Transition those, oh, how's the weather today? Transition those conversations, hey, how's it going? To something more transformative. Make them real. Love the person where they are. Make those conversations real. We're going to have opportunities this week. We may have opportunities today to love on people around us. Let's do it. That's what Jesus would have done. And that's who we're trying to become more like. Jesus was a radical. I honestly don't even mind the term. I'm okay if somebody calls me radical as long as it's for loving people. Right? Thank you for your attention. I hope that there's been some things that we've been able to share today that uh, can bless your life. And um, hopefully are somewhat transformative. That's why we're here. We're not here to just hear more stuff about what we believe in and confirm what we believe. We're here to be transformed. We're here to be changed into something, something better. I've noticed that there's a little more spring in my step behind this podium. This floor is like bouncy. It's a good thing I didn't break into dance. We'd have really had a problem. Talking about wine and dancing, whoa. We got some kids' classes coming up. We uh, break up into small groups. Um, We've got some uh, uh, discussion guys right here on this front chair. Uh, We'll break up into small groups and get one in a couple different corners, maybe one out in the foyer, and um, kids can go to class in just a few minutes. This evening, our last movie night starts at 5 o'clock. If you've never seen this movie, or even if you have seen this movie, this movie has hysterical, hilarious scenes in it. Uh, the movie is called Courageous. If you are a man in the room and you have not seen this movie, you have got to come see this movie. This movie is absolutely astounding, um, absolutely amazing, and uh, you're, you're going to love it. And it's really fun to join with a bunch of other people and watch this movie because it's just it's fun to hear everybody's reaction. And it's, it's fun. Um, in the theater, you can't do that because you're not like, I wonder if they're going to laugh at that. Ooh, wonder if they... Here, you can do whatever you want. We don't care if you laugh. We don't care if you cry. Um, it's okay. So 5 o'clock this evening, we'll, we'll show the movie Courageous. And uh, it's an amazing, um, amazing movie. Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, Missions Night. And then uh, also I want to let you know that our schedule will change slightly. And not necessarily schedule change, but our order of events will change. Um, I don't know, did you make a slide on that one? Uh, that's all right. You it's okay. It's there? Okay. So those times on the left are not necessarily accurate. But the schedule and order is. I will not stick with those times all the time, but the order of service basically is. So we may start main service at 9.30 if we get done with everything else. So just know that those times may not be accurate, but that's the basic order in which we'll go um, next, starting next Sunday. So it'll be a little bit different, small groups and break up into small groups before our main service. We'll talk about what the sermon's going to be about. We'll look at some passages of scripture to dive into it, and then we'll, then we'll come and do our, our main service. Kids will go to class um, first thing Sunday morning, uh, next, starting next week. So anyway, that's a switch up. 
Also, I want to announce something extremely important. There is little girls in this room that they have, what time is it? It's 10.30, 10.35. They have an hour and 25 minutes till go time. They are Girl Scouts and they can't start selling cookies until noon today. So, the deal is, come back tonight for the movie night. We're going to be here early and then stay a little after. Okay, so I'll be here at 4.30, so you can get here at, four, at least a half an hour early. It's, it's buy Girl Scout cookies time. And whatever they have, see what I mean? Whatever they have in their stash, we want to clean them out, all right? So bring the trailers, bring the trucks, um, bring the checkbook, and bring the credit card, because Jackie has something on her phone that she can swipe it on her phone, and she has got this covered. So Girl Scout cookies on the house, no, not on the house. Girl Scout cookies in the house, all right? So that'll be happening tonight, uh, so don't forget that. Little, pe- little pennies over there. Remember, remember, remember? I remembered. What else? What other announcements do I need to make? Really? That's it? Next Sunday is our, is our game day. It's game day, so um, theme Sunday. Wear your jerseys, wear your fun stuff, and bring tailgate food. We're going to have a, a meal after services. And um, tailgate, whatever you want to bring, whatever food you want to bring. If you want to bring a grill and cook something outside, go right ahead. Um, tailgate Sunday, and then we'll have our ministry team meetings, and then everybody can go to their, their Super Bowl parties if you're going to watch Super Bowl. <laughs> going to watch the commercials. Who wants to watch the Patriots? Anybody Patriots fan? Nobody? They're just nervous again. <laughs> oh, man. Unbelievable. All right, let's be staying with closing word of prayer before we get ourselves in trouble. Thank you all for being here this morning. God, we thank you so much for being our God, for uh, always watching out for us, always taking care of us, always bringing us good, good wine. Amazing joy, God, that you pour into us. Thank you so much for that. God, help us to be that creative person that brings more fun and more enjoyment and more love to the party. God, help us to everywhere we go, to every person we talk to, to every situation that you put us in. God, help us to make it better and help us to be transformative. Help us to focus on the individuals rather than just the big group. Help us to love each other intensely to the point that we look like you. God, that people can say, that guy, that guy's been with Jesus. God, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for the ability that we have, or your ability, rather, uh, to, to bring our trust and to just pour all of ourselves on you and allow you to take care of us. God, I pray that you'll bless the rest of this week. Give each individual a measure of the Holy Spirit. God, help us to work with you and not against you this week. God, I pray that you'll bless the rest of our day. Give us strength and courage and energy. Give those teachers amazing ability to teach those kids. Bless our discussion groups. God, thank you for this time. Pray this things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.